Hello and welcome back everybody to the El King Mexico podcast and today we're gonna go to the west and we're gonna show some love to Oakland and we're gonna have the homie introduce himself and let him know who you are bro. I'm Jose Rivera. I run a YouTube and IG and Facebook called Oakland Latinos United. I'm from originally from Oakland, California. I still live in the East Bay in the 510. I'm basically a Bay Area kid, born and raised. Yeah, so before that said, right, just being how I was on your show, I would like to know a little bit about growing up in Oakland, because I've been in Oakland, and for people who, who heard me and your show, but this is for people who haven't heard it, when I went to Oakland, bro, Oakland is, it was like about, what, 12 years ago? Okay. It's hard body, B. It was it was hard. And then there's only one way in, one way out. And it just happens to be my first experience out there in Oakland was um, SWAT team at the um, end, I guess, at the beginning of Oakland and at the end of San Fran when you're getting in and out. The SWAT team was up, was there just waiting for somebody or for a car to come in or out and stuff. They were looking for somebody and shit. I was like, yo, yo. When I say, if this is hood, this has to be hood, bro. And then once you get out, bro, it's a whole different, like, vibe. It, it, it's different. It feels different. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, Oakland, Oakland's a completely different world, bro, compared to, like, say, San Francisco or San Jose or even other parts of the Bay Area or even Los Angeles, for that matter. Oakland, it's got its, it's, its own little world, bro. It's like this kind of mysterious city that has this mystique. And this crazy ass history, bro. Like, it has a history of being a working class city. It has a history of being uh, the birthplace of the Black Panthers and the Black Power movement. It has a history of the Hell's Angels. It has a history of the Chicano movement, the Brown Berets, the Chicano Revolutionary Party. Uh, it just has this history. It has a history of drug dealers and gangbangers and all that stuff, bro. All in one little city, bro. And it kind of creates this weird dynamic, sort of say. You feel me? Um, and uh, at the same time it's like a city of contrast there's a beautiful parts of Oakland there's really nice rich areas of Oakland and then you got the fucking hood you got the flat what we call the flatlands like East Oakland West Oakland that's the hood you know what I mean and um, that's probably the contrast of Oakland it's not a very big city <clears throat> in Oakland everybody knows of each other or knows of you you know, like me, a lot of people know of me or they see me around the hood or they heard about me from somewhere. <clears throat> and I think even Tupac said that about Oakland. <clears throat> you don't want to have drama in Oakland because it's not very big and it's easy for people to find you. <laughs> and to some degree, that is true. <clears throat> it's a small world, right? I always tell people it's always a small world, no matter how big the world is, bro. It's small when it comes down to like, trying to hide from somebody or trying to lay low from somebody. Somebody knows somebody that knows somebody. You get me? And it's weird because look at us, right? I'm in New York. You're in Oakland, right? But yeah. I'm pretty sure between us and all these states in between us, somebody knows me and somebody knows you. You get me? Yeah. Like indirectly. Yeah. I even got people from New York that follow me now. So it's like, like, that's a trip. I think people, I would have never got people way out in New York or following my channel. <laughs> nah, that's cool. But just starting in all right, you are a person of many talents, bro. Like, 
I'm like, just me being and following you and just getting to know, uh, you know, a lot about you. And yeah. just following your page feels like, you know, you give us a little history about Oakland. You know what I mean? You give us like little things in here and there that's like, yo, I did not know this. Yeah. Like you just gave me a whole summary of everything that has started in Oakland, right? Mm -hmm. There's certain things that I didn't. I didn't know about the Brown Berets. I thought the Brown Berets started more in the South. Well, they started in L.A., but they had a big history. One of the first chapters outside of Oak of uh, L.A. Uh -huh. was in Oakland. And they also had their own organizations here, like the Chicano Revolutionary Party. They were from Oakland. They were doing similar things. And the Chicano movement was just as strong here as it was in L.A., bro, but yet it's never talked about. And that's partly the reason why Oakland Latinos United exists. And I can get into that as well. <clears throat> Yeah, go in, bro. Let, let us know what is. So basically, the reason why Oakland Latinos. OK, I grew up in a neighborhood called Fruitvale. That's where I'm originally from. And that's in East Oakland. And you could say that's like the barrio of Oakland, kind of like the East L.A. of Oakland, kind of in a way. And um, that's the hood that's more known for, for Latinos or Mexicanos in Oakland. And growing up, you know, I had always seen Raza around me. I had always seen. um. I had always seen uh, uh, murals and stuff on the walls and organizations that have been around since the 60s. And I never knew much of where that came from. I just knew they were there. And I kind of, I guess you could say, took it for granted. And um, when the first time I moved out of Oakland, I was 14 years old. I moved out to a city called Sacramento. I don't know if you know where that's at. That's the capital of uh, California. It's about an hour away, probably an hour east of here. And I lived there for like two years. And um, when I went out to SAC, what tripped me out was like, I would say, I'm from Oakland. And people would say, but you're Mexican. I'm like, and? They were like, but I thought Oakland's only black people. I'm like, what? Oh, that would trip me. I didn't know what the hell they were talking about, like black people. I'm like, there is a lot of black people in Oakland, but certainly we're here too. I'm like, I don't know where you guys are getting this from. And then... I've always kind of been a history nerd, you could say, a history buff, naturally. And um, probably around that time, I started reading a lot about Chicano history, about Reyes Tijerina, Corky Gonzalez, the Chicano movement, the Brown Berets, Cesar Chavez, all that stuff, bro, that happened back in the 60s, 50s and 60s and 70s. And I noticed that Oakland was never mentioned. And then when I started researching Oakland history books, there was never no mention of Raza either. So I'm like, damn, that's crazy. But we're there. I know we're there. I grew up in a predominantly Mexican neighborhood. I'm pretty sure that we're not, we didn't just jump off a boat and just got here. We've been here for a long time. And, and it was just a mystery to me why there was no documentation <clears throat> of Latinos in Oakland. And it really started to get me fucking mad and irritated. And, uh, I'm like, if no academic has done this, and, and 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 not even a Chicano academic, I gotta do. I gotta do what I learned from the Chicano movement. Do for myself, and if I want people to learn this, I'm gonna start researching it. So it started really as a project in 2003, just a simple trip to the Oakland Library, the public library, to the Oakland History Room, and I asked the librarian at the time. His name was Steve Lavoy. Um, do you have any documentation of Oakland Latino history, of the early history? Because there don't seem to be much. He's like, yeah, I got some stuff. I'll give it to you. And then he gave it to me, bro. 
And it just like, it was like, it blew my mind, bro. Cause I was reading all this stuff. I mean, hella stuff. And I'm like, wow, like none of this is documented. None of this is in a history book. I'm like, what the fuck? So I began taking pictures and photocopies of everything I could, bro. Uh, and, and it became an obsession to a degree. I started actually going out to the hood, bro, and talking to OGs of the Chicano movement. And even some as far back as the Pachuco movement in the 40s that were still alive at the time. And I started talking to them and researching what was our history in Oakland? How did we get here? Why did we come here? And what I found out was that the first Latino barrio in Oakland was actually in West Oakland. Now that was tricky to me because I had always been told that West Oakland had been the Harlem of the West. It had been the black Mecca of Oakland, which is partly true. I'm not gonna say it's not true, but I had no clue that there was actually a Mexican barrio in that area as well. And that was the first barrio in Oakland. And, and that had originated during the Mexican revolution when a lot of Mexicanos started fleeing the Mexican revolution, coming to California. Some started coming to, to New Mexico, Texas, Arizona, and some went as far as Detroit and Chicago. That's how the Chicago community started. And I wouldn't be surprised if some even made it as far as to New York. <clears throat> so that was, that was kind of the roots of it. And then you had the big migration of Raza that came during World War II. A lot of people came from New Mexico, Texas, uh, to work in the shipyards and in the military bases that used to be in Oakland. You had a lot of braceros that came to Oakland to work in, in, in the military, in the shipyards and the railroads, believe it or not. And um, not all of them came to work in the fields. There was a group that came to work in the for the military as well. That's not talked about. And uh, I just started finding out all this stuff. I'm like, Jesus Christ, all this history that I researched and none of it's in a history book, man. That's a fucking crime, if you ask me, bro. And that's a shame that not even an academic <clears throat> went out there. And you know what I mean by an academic, right? Yeah. You know, not even an academic went out there and um, and researched all this stuff. So it kind of became an obsession. I said, well, now that I got this research, what am I going to do with it? So MySpace came around. This was around the time of MySpace. <clears throat> And I seen a black dude did something like commemorating black history of Oakland. <clears throat> and that kind of inspired me right there. I'm like, huh, that's pretty dope what he's doing. I'm going to do something like that. So I started doing the first Oakland Latinos United on MySpace. And I started actually showing all the photocopies and pictures that I had collected of Oakland history. And then it became a Facebook page. Then it became an IG page. And then the YouTube page kind of came on similar uh, because in, in my YouTube channel started in 2007. And um, I noticed the same thing. There was a lot of like, at YouTube, you got to remember, YouTube in 2007 was a completely different world, bro. It was a completely different world. It was, um, it was basically, uh, um, it was like freedom, bro. Like you had all kinds of people on there. You had conspiracy theories. You had white supremacists, you had black supremacists, you had uh, uh, right-wingers, left-wingers, liberals, conservatives, you have everything across the board. That was the early YouTube. But one thing I noticed that were no rasa on YouTube. There were a lot of blacks 
they were talking about their community. And again, Blacks have inspired me in a lot of things, bro. African-Americans. Um, <clears throat> I would watch some of these African-American channels and it would inspire me because they were talking about their community, what was going on. And I would be, and I would look to see if any Rasa was out there doing this and I could not find none. So again, like I said, I learned from the Chicano movement from the past, bro. You know, if no one's going to do it, you got to do it for yourself, bro. So I said, you know what? Fuck it. I'm just going to start a, a YouTube channel and talk about whatever. You talk about history from time to time and different things and see how it goes. And that's how it all started, bro. Nah, I completely agree on you on that point right there, because it's true, bro. Just um, myself starting this whole podcast thing, right? And you just bringing up Rasa representation. Like, we're not really out there. You know what I mean? Like, we always in the cut. Like, we just like to look from the outside, right? Like, oh, what they're doing, look. Like, you know, they doing this way, they doing it that way, right? But it's like, yeah. you should put it on yourself. So like, yo, let me expose our culture out there to everybody else. You know what I mean? And as I've gotten older, right, is that is that feeling of looking, of looking for yeah. my culture, you know what I mean? And understanding more into depth, which is weird, I'll you know what I mean? As you get older, you want that knowledge. Like, you seek it. But when you're young, it's like, I don't really care. It's like, it is what it is. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, it, like me, I guess I was a little different, wired a little different. I always wanted that knowledge, even when I was young, in a weird way. <laughs> um, but, you know, I get it, bro. I get it. A lot of times when we get older, we start realizing. I think, um, I think now there's a lot more Latinos and Chicanos on YouTube. I think one of the things that I've noticed that a lot of it is controlled by like a lot of prison channels, ex-gang member channels, which is cool. They have a, you know, they have their say and they should have a platform. I'm not disagreeing with that, but we need more people like you and me, just everyday Rasa that's living an everyday existence that never went to jail, never got involved in the gangs or the, you know, we got in, I got involved in some crazy stuff, but never nothing serious. And just, you know, an everyday perspective. And I think that's kind of missing right now on YouTube a little bit. Um, as far as like us not speaking out, you know, we have this culture of uh, in, in, within our people, I don't know why, of being quiet and docile and, and, and not speaking out. <clears throat> and then we cry when people run all over us and, 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 and nothing happens. You know what I mean? And that, that goes like, you know, I, I was told this years ago, the squeaky wheel gets the lube. And if we're not the squeaky wheel, bro, we're not going to get the satisfaction. So we can't be quiet. We have to speak out against anything or against any kind of BS that's done to our community. <clears throat> that's the only way things can change. <clears throat> we got to stop being afraid. You know, American Solo, I got to give him props. I didn't really like his channel at first, bro for certain reasons, but he's uh he's really impressed me, man, on, on what he's doing and how he's blowing up and how he's, yeah, he is an ex-gang member and all that, but he is also coming at it as an everyday guy's perspective as well. And I think that's kind of cool. And, and you know, like the 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 whole thing he did with the, uh, the Tiger video, which is a, you know, which is, a, I made a video about a, a similar subject about three years ago. And, um, so, you know, this continues to go on where they're making these stereotypes about Rasa, which is not cool because those same stereotypes were used against Black people in the old days, you know, and they rightfully spoke out against it. So 
how is it that we're not going to speak out when people are making us look like these foolish buffoons, you know, for other people's satisfaction? And that's not cool. And that's why we don't, we can't be quiet, man. Nah, I completely understand from that point of view. But here's my thing, right? I understand, like, I actually had to look at it from the perspective from the other side, right? Because when I saw it, right? I'm going to be blunt with you, bro. I ain't finding no type of, like, I'm like, I don't even know, homie. Like, I know he was he was hooked up with one of the Kardashians, and he had a couple of hits, but I ain't even know the dude was still relevant, bro. Yeah. And then when people broke it down, and then they broke it down to, like, how it plays into every perspective that he that he portrayed in that video, then I'm like, all right, I can't understand now in that whole brown face thing. And then when... Yeah. Then when you think about it under the other shoe, if some if somebody a rasa would have done it and would have done blackface, we would have been hung for that shit. Exactly. And I said that I recently made a video, and in the video I did three years ago, I said the exact same thing. I said, had a black or I mean had a Chicano <clears throat> or Latino of any type done a video. <clears throat> God damn I <clears throat> uh had a Chicano or a Latino of any of any type done a video similar in, in blackface with a daishiki and a fake afro and he's seducing all these fine-ass black women and the black people in the background are like these you know 1930s mammies and 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 shucking and jiving jigaboos you know what I mean cut them all hello boss and eating uh watermelon bro come on man what would happen but here's another one. Here's even a more recent one, right? And then it hit me, right? That's another one that hit me, right? Because then, let's not forget, Jay Balvin got into some real deep shit because he had the two chicks on a chain. Mm. And they were dogs, right? And they were two black girls and stuff. But they were Spanish. Like that. About that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when you really think about it, it's like, all right, so when Jay Balvin did it, it was a roar. That, wasn't he? Huh? He was called out for that, right? Bro, he was he was almost canceled. He was like, yeah, canceled, bro. And then on top of that, they even got Ooh. mad because he got awarded an award that was for, for a black artist. Oh, okay. So he even got more shit for that. But at the end of the day, yeah, he got an award for being a black artist, but they got to understand that when it comes down to just being Spanish, we come in different shades. You know what I mean? Yeah. And the perception of race is a little bit different within our community as well. Yes, yeah. we're, we're a huge mountain pop, bro. We come in all different shades, colors, our hairs, all type of hair types. You know what I mean? It's not like one specific look. Yeah. It's like we all like mix, you know what I mean? Like even, yeah. even with us, like just in Mexico, you go depending what part of Mexico it's like, damn, you really, and some people be like, oh, I thought you was white. And I'm like, nah, I'm Mexican. And it's weird, you know what I mean? And then you got real, real darker Mexicans who live towards the bottom because that's like the borderline. Even when you go up by Belize, Belize is right there and then it's bordered to Mexico. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot, there's, you know, there's a lot of black people in Latin America. There's indigenous people, the mestizos. You know, the ones that are, there's also the ones that are mixed with all three, the European, Black, and Spanish. You see that as well. You even see that in Mexico, like in places like Veracruz and Guerrero, states that had a high concentration of slavery at one point. So, yeah, we're, we're mixed with a little bit of everything. I, and, and I think the, 
perception of race is looked on a little bit different in Latin America than it is here. I mean, yeah, obviously there's black and white and mestizo and indio or indígena, but I don't know. It's just, it's just a little different. It seems like over there it's more class-based. Yeah. And then another thing is also, right, When you even when you get into that whole race thing, right, it's different. Like, in Mexico, they still able to joke about each other. You get me? Unlike here, I think we, we've we've gotten so so like into into a lane that you can't do this, you can't you can't have this joke, you can't have that joke. And in yeah, Mexico, well, you still well, have well, all these rights. Like it's yeah. crazy. Like people think Mexico's like oh like mainstream. The only no no like Mexico's pretty liberal. Like when you really think about it, you know what I mean? It's pretty free when you when you really look at the broader picture. Yeah. Like people still have crazy ass jokes. They're still able to crack on each other. And it's still like love. You get me? Like they still love it. And when you come up here, it's like, oh, I can't joke like that no more. It's like, nah, you can't make those jokes up here. It's like, but why? It's like, oh, because it's discrimination. You're going to hurt somebody's feelings. But it's like, hold on. I thought this is America. I'm like, it is America, but it's not what it was. It's I think a lot of it has to do with PC, what they call PC culture, you know, politically correct culture. And that's that's kind of what I think politically correct culture in a way it came from a good place originally, but I think it's gone spiraled kind of out of control a little bit. Cause you know, originally it came from not offending people of other races, basically. That's what it kind of originated from, you know. And then it's like I said, it's just kind of spiraled into something completely different, bro. <clears throat> You know, so it came from a good place, but a lot of times things can come from a good place and then end up somewhere completely weird or bad or whatever. (laughs) Just us, right? We're probably both in our 30s, right? I'm in my 40s. (laughs) So you in your 40s, I'm in 30s. And it's wild, right? How we grew up to how this generation is growing up. And it's amazing just to see the, the history. You get me? From yeah. going from watching TV, right? From a big box, that big wooden box, and you had to like go clunk, 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 clunk to the rotary phone to what we have today. Everything's in this thing right here. Yeah. I, I yeah, I, I, I remember all those things, bro. I, I, I remember when you could only get a phone at a specific store. A lot of people don't remember that anymore. You had to go to a telephone phone to get a phone. And they had the rotary phones. And they, I remember when the touchstone phones first started coming out, it was a big deal. I remember VCRs. People made a big deal about those. I remember the first VCR we bought. It was like, oh, my God, we got a VCR. <laughs> the CD. Like, well, yeah, I know the cassette. Cassettes, yeah. I used to collect vinyls, too, when I was young. And... um. <clears throat> And um, look at now, bro. Now we could watch a damn movie on our phone. <laughs> we could even watch a movie that's coming out in the movie theaters direct to your phone. You yeah. Don't even have, you don't even have to go to the movie theaters. You could just be at home and watch it. Or you could be on the train, bus, on your way, wherever you got to go and just like, All right, I'm going to watch it while I'm on my way here. Yeah, man. It's, it's crazy how the world has changed, man. The world is totally changed. It's a, it's a different, for sure, world than I remember, bro. Like, basically, I'm in the world that I remember when I was young. People used to say, that's going to be the future. 
And like half of the things that they would talk about then are a reality now. Like I remember there was a commercial in the in the late 80s, early 90s, where it basically predicted almost everything we have now. It showed like a guy having a conversation on a on a on a TV uh with another person. Actually, no, it actually showed a guy teaching a class to people in another country on a TV. And then it showed a lady on a beach on a machine writing a message to someone. And it said, in the future, you're going to be able to do all those things. And that's it. I mean, that was like 89, 90, bro. 30 years later, bro, and that's, all that's a reality. It's like they knew or they were already developing it back then, you know? Yo, just, just touching base on all this right now, right? Since we're talking about history and, you know, generations, and we've capped a lot of things, you know what I mean, in our time. Music. And I know music is big for you, bro. Yeah. I want to touch on you and your, and your another talent you have, which is music, when it comes down to cumbia. And how you got into that, that whole mix, you know what I mean? Well... It, it's funny you say this because I'm gonna, I ain't gonna lie. When I was little, up until the point I was a teenager, I didn't like Spanish music. I was just like, like, I didn't like it, bro. I was like into whatever people in the hood were into. I was into rap. I was into oldies. I was into funk. I was into R&B. And, and, you know, like the Spanish music was always the music my parents were listening to. <clears throat> now, I'm Mexican and Salvadorian. And I remember my dad, my dad's from El Salvador. My mom was from Mexico. And my dad used to, was a musician in El Salvador and in the United States. And he would always listen more to like musica tropical, cumbia, salsa, merengue, like that type. And he would listen to Mexican music too, but his thing was more like tropical music. And then he was big on rock and roll, like from the 50s, because he was that, you know, he was born in 1941. So he grew up a lot on Little Richard, on Chubby Checker, on uh, 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 Chuck Berry. You know, he grew up on like a lot of he grew up on a lot of the hippie music, like from the 60s, like the Rolling Stones and the Doors and he all that kind of stuff. He liked all the stuff from those eras as well. So um, when I became around 16, I was I, I went to a Mexican dance. And I was kind of feeling the music and the vibe and the females, the honeys that were there. I was like, damn, this is actually kind of cool. You know what I mean? And um, and then slowly I started getting into Spanish music. I don't know how, bro. I just started getting into it. But I wasn't really feeling the Mexican music as much. And I, I hate to say that because I'm half Mexican. But I wasn't feeling the mariachis or the bandas as much. They're cool. Don't get me wrong. There is some of it that's cool. But I was really feeling... The Musica Tropical, which, you know, my dad, Salvadorian, a lot of the music he listened to, I kind of was feeling that more, like the cumbia, the salsa, um, and, 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 you know, merengue and all that, bachata and all that stuff. And what got me into cumbia is, like, I had heard, I had heard that cumbia in its origin was not the same as cumbias today, that it was more folkloric, and it was more drum-based, and I always wanted to learn the drums. So at the time, you know, this is before the internet. I'm going back to 1995, bro. And um, I'm like, I want to hear this music. I want to hear what original cumbia sounded like. That's interesting. Because I was always kind of a weird kid. I always wanted to find the roots of anything. And I'm still like that in a way. 
And I remember there was a store in a city called El Cerrito called Down Home Music. And they would sell hard to find music like that, like a lot of folkloric music. And uh, kind of a hippie store in a way, you could say. And I went there and they had a bunch of stuff from Colombia. And I seen one CD that was called Toto La Moncocina. And, and I bought that one and I played it. I was like, whoa, this is fucking dope. It just blew my mind, bro. Like, like what is this? This is cumbia? I'm like, wow, this is fucking dope. And, and then from there, I just became like big into Colombian music because I started noticing all the good Latin music came out of Colombia, you know, cumbia. Then I got into Vallenato. Then I got into Colombian salsa. Then I got into another music called Champeta, which is also, it's kind of like Afrobeat, similar to like African music. And, um, and I noticed that a lot of the music in Colombia was based out of West African rhythms and the drum beats and all that. And I, I was at the time I was learning the drums and I gravitated more to that than the Afro-Cuban stuff, which is what more people were doing in the Bay Area at the time. It was more like Afro-Cuban and salsa and uh, and samba from Brazil. But I was like, you know what? I want to do this Colombian stuff and I want to bring more of that to the Bay Area. And uh, I started learning it. I, I met a, a Colombian musician, bro, who started teaching me to play the drums. And then... Uh, we kind of started a little project. Uh, before that, there had been some other Colombian bands too that had started in the Bay Area. So there was actually a, a Colombian music movement in the Bay Area, which was kind of cool. It was mostly based off Cumbia. And uh, we started this little project called Cuyacan. That kind of blew up. It was more of a folkloric Cumbia. And it, it started getting results. We started getting gigs and started booking things. And then, um. Then that project kind of fell, and then I, I was in another project called La Ceiba, and we were doing more like modern cumbia in a way, but a lot of it's still based off Colombian music. Very few of it was based off Mexican cumbia, and because you know Colombia is the root of, of cumbia, bro, whether people want to accept it or not, that's where it came from, that's where it was born, you know what I mean, and that's where the culture of cumbia comes from. That's where people need to understand it or into that music, and then. I started with La Ceiba and then I was like, you know what, fuck it, I'm gonna go to Colombia. I wanna go find find the roots of this music. And I went and I met people. I didn't actually go to the areas where Cumbia came from. I am gonna, that's coming soon. I'm gonna take a trip to Colombia again to go to the Caribbean coast. I went to Medellin and Antioquia, but I got to meet tradicionalistas. They play traditional music in those areas, bro. And I took some classes with them. They sold me some drums to bring back. And it was a beautiful experience, bro. And and lately I've been working with a group called Los Vallenatos because again, there was there was a lot of cumbia groups in the Bay Area that were coming up, but no Vallenato groups. And I'm, I'm pretty sure you know what Vallenato is. It's one of the many genres yeah. that were born from the cumbia world. And uh I said, fuck it, let's start a Vallenato group, bro. I I met a, a white dude, believe it or not, a Jewish guy who was into Vallenato. <laughs> And he knew how to play the accordion. Not that well, but he knew how to play it. And we said, you know what? Let's get together and start working on some songs. And, and we would get together at Lake Marriott, which is in a, a lake in Oakland. We used to get together at Richmond Marina, which is Point Richmond, which is in, in Richmond, California. And we would study these songs for hours and hours and hours, bro, until finally it, it formed into something and became Los Vallenatos, which is my current project. And uh, we've been kind of blowing up around the Bay Area. Now there's another new group 
called Sombaia, which is another Vallenaco group, which is nice because we're finally starting the movement. Hopefully it blows up from there. I hope it will. <laughs> Better for me, more money for me. <laughs> that's good, bro. That's that's dope. You know what I mean? Even here, and like you said, it's not like Mexican cumbia and stuff because Mexican cumbia is more electronic, the electronic yeah. piano, the guitar, yeah. electric guitar, and, a, and it's more of an upbeat type of techno thing going on. Yeah, it's the Sunaidero, but where they do do the Colombian version and they do Vallenato a lot is in, in Monterrey, bro. They got a huge appreciation for the Colombian root of cumbia, bro, and, and, and of Vallenato, bro. It's huge over there in Monterrey, Mexico, and I'm actually planning to go there too, bro. I heard it gets lit out there, bro, with the Vallenato and cumbia. Um, and they, it's similar to what we're doing here. They're, they're kind of more tapping into the Colombian source of it than to Sonidero or anything else, bro. It's actually pretty dope. That's where Celso Piña came from, La Troca Vallenata, those, uh, La Troca Colombiana, and various groups have come out of Monterrey. They're really good, bro. Yeah, well, growing up, like that's what my parents used to listen to. So it would be like that, what, Sonido Tropical? That's what it would be called, right? Uh, you mean like Sonidero? Oh, you Is mean it? Musica Tropical. Yeah, Musica Tropical, but it has that cumbia beat to it. Yeah, it's basically, yeah, it's just basically like, like kind of cumbia-ish type beats is what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's influence, well, you know what I mean? At the end of the day, it's still, they take a little bit of here and a little bit of there. But even there, there's a reason why cumbia is popular in Mexico. There's People don't know this. The reason why cumbia is popular in Mexico it's because originally the musica tropical that was popular in Mexico was Cuban music, like mambo, danzón, cha-cha-cha. But when the Cuban revolution happened, Cuba got blockaded from the rest of the world and the Cuban music stopped coming into Mexico. And then all of a sudden you had this migration of Colombians that started coming into Mexico and they were bringing this new music called cumbia and, and Mexicanos quickly gravitated to it. That's a history that's not talked about in itself. I did not know this, bro. Thank you for enlightening me on that. I didn't. I know like cumbia was huge. You know what I mean? Like I knew it was huge, and my family was big on it. Like my uncle, my aunt, like yeah. they were big. Like the whole, the whole like like oh, we're getting our stuff, and they'll put me on, and I'll listen to it as a kid. You know what I mean? And then like I like I said before, right? Like you also said, growing up, I didn't really pay mind to it. You know what I mean? Yeah is when this whole mumble rap era came into play is when I started listening to going back into Spanish music. And I think I started, I got me into Spanish music was just seeing the girls at the parties, bro. I was like, damn, <laughs> something to this. <laughs> I, here's the thing with me, right? And I think that's what, what, what kind of like, like took me out of the play because I would try to kick it to them, right? And I never got game, B. Like, I never got game. But then when yeah. I used to go to the hood, I used to get mad love, bro. Yeah. So that's why yeah. I think I kind of stopped listening to the whole Spanish joint. Because I was getting love yeah. in the hood with all the black girls. I was like, Psh, I don't need to listen to no Spanish music. You know, it's weird. I've, I've dated a lot of African-American girls myself. And a lot of them were into Spanish music, which is weird. <laughs> At least two or three of them were. It's a small, it, it, it's just one of those things, you know what I mean? It's that Spanish yeah. thing. 
But then here's the thing, right? So when you talk about Spanish, you're talking about like salsa, you're talking about merengue. But that's yeah. different. It's not Mexican music. No. Nah, like in New York. Dominican salsa is really Cuban technically, but Puerto Ricans picked it up. You know what I mean? And then you got reggaeton. Yeah, you- which that that's a that that's a cold debate unto itself. I always tell people I think it started in Panama, but other people say it started in, in Puerto Rico. But I, I still stick to it originated in Panama. Yeah, with well, general, that's the original reggaeton. El general, el chombo, and a lot of those guys from back in the days. And here's another thing. Another thing that comes from like playero, right? Playero music, which is what Daddy Yankee used to sing. Yeah, that came from Honduras, I think. And you see what I mean? It's like, it's all intertwined together. You know what I mean? Like all our coaches, it's like. I think playero came from like the Caribbean coast of like Honduras and Guatemala and Belize probably. And then, yeah, so it's just. When you come down, like you just said, right? I think you gave me a history lesson. Did you know this? In Central America in the 80s and 90s, there was a huge movement of of soca in Spanish. You know what soca is, right? From Trinidad. Yeah. Yeah, so there was a huge, like, in Guatemala, and El Salvador, and Honduras, hella bands were playing soca in the 80s and 90s, and that got me into soca. Because I used to hear these songs, and my dad would bring in albums from Central America, and I'm like, wow, that's kind of dope. And then I would find out they were soca songs. I'm like, soca, huh? That's tight. And then you have it. Remember, Venezuela is not far away from um from Trinidad. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Like you could see, you could literally see Venezuela from the coast. <laughs> and then Venezuela could see Trinidad from the coast. You know what I mean? Like it's like right there. It's not you know far what, away. Now in Mexico, bro, that's very Caribbean. I've been there. It's Veracruz. Have you ever been in that place? Nah, bro. Veracruz is on the east coast of Mexico. It was one of the slave trading places. So there's a lot of African influence there. And um, and the music and the culture is very Caribbean, bro. It, it seems almost kind of Puerto Rican or, 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 or Cuban almost, bro. Even the way they talk, they be like, coño, no coño. And they be saying that like, coño. <laughs> Where? Yeah, they be like, they, how they talk? They be like, coño, uh, coño. <laughs> Something like that. Damn, bro. Now you make me want to go look that shit up, bro. They don't even pronounce the S. They say Veracruz. Yo soy de Veracruz. Yeah, it sounds kind of Puerto Rican-ish, bro. Yeah, that's how I've been there, bro. Trust me. I tripped the fuck out. I thought I was in the Caribbean, bro, when I was there. <laughs> like, you know, like the traditional men, they wear like guayaberas and straw hats. You know what I mean? Kind of like guajitos. Yo. Yo, guayaberas are the shit, bro. I always wanted yeah, to find, I always wanted to find a nice little guayabera with the four pockets and shit, bro. Like you know, not the right one, bro. I got a whole uh, bunch of them, bro. <laughs> like not the right. All right, so they have guayaberas, right? But it it don't fit right. If you get what I mean, like I'm pretty sure the ones you have they fit nice. Like you put them on. I seen you on the show when you play. You have some. You have them on. It looks right on you. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like the ones over here. I'm a fat ass motherfucker. <laughs> and I can still they find look them. good. That's what I mean. They look good. Like out here, it's like, uh, they don't look sharp. You know what I mean? Like you put it on and be like, oh, it looks like a, I don't want to say, I don't want to use bad words. You know what I mean? I'm not going to use that type of word. But it yeah, just don't yeah. look right. You know what I mean? It just, the fit don't look right. It looks like you got on Smedium. <laughs> <laughs> 
got yeah, man. Going back to uh, let's go back to Oakland for a minute, bro. Going back to what you originally told me about Oakland. I know I go go into tangents, kind of, bro. <clears throat> Growing up in Oakland, bro, it was a rough place, bro. It wasn't an easy place to grow up. It's kind of the kind of place that you got to grow up quickly, unfortunately, even if you don't want to. I always tell people I just wanted to be a kid and 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 I got to be a kid and play with my bikes and play hide and seek with my friends and all those good things in the hood where I grew up in. I grew up on a street called East 7th Street in Oakland and it's next to another famous hood called Jingletown. And um and uh, uh it was it was a beautiful upbringing, bro. I mean it was a hood of barrio, but it was I wouldn't trade those that upbringing for anything else in the world, bro. Those were some of the happiest times in my life, bro. Growing up there, in spite of the drama, in spite of the gangs and the drugs and the killings that were going on around us, it almost seemed like it wasn't even there, bro. Like we were protected from it in a weird way because our barrio was, was only one way out and one way in. And it was like we all knew each other. So there was rarely ever any outsiders there. You know what I mean? And if an outsider came in, you knew quickly, bro. And motherfuckers would be on them like, hey, who the fuck are you? You know what I mean? So that's that's how it was where I was from. So I always got protected from all that nonsense. It was when I left the hood that I would experience the bullshit. You know, that rival gangs hitting me up and 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 uh you know fools trying to rob you, fools trying to like 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 set you up and then fools trying to sell you drugs. It was it, you know, it was it was rough, bro. It was a wild place. You know what I mean? But at the same time, there's always kind of been this weird culture in Oakland. Oakland's always been kind of a very cultural hub with Rasa culture, with African-American culture, and, and, and um, even Asian culture. It, 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 it's a weird dichotomy in Oakland. That's the best way I could describe it. It's, 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 it's not no other place in the world, bro. I've been to a lot of places and not very many places are can replicate Oakland, bro. <laughs> When when it comes down to like you just said, right? It's it's different, different mixes out there. What's the best fusion of food y'all got out there? In Oakland, uh, you're gonna get a lot of Mexican food, a lot of um, a lot of Asian food, a lot of Vietnamese food, a lot of Chinese food, a lot of good Mexican restaurants. The best taco trucks, I would say, in the West Coast, bro. I don't give a fuck what anyone says. I know people from LA are saying, "No, it's LA," but I've been to taco trucks everywhere, bro. No one beats the ones in Oakland, bro. I'm sorry. That's just my, maybe it's my own bias from being from Oakland, but you got a taco truck on every corner in East Oakland, bro. Like every corner, you could literally get a taco truck at any hour of the day. Um, we got a lot of Mexican food. We got a lot of Salvadorian food. There's starting to be Guatemalan restaurants in Oakland now because there's a big Guatemalan community coming in. Um, there's actually one Puerto Rican restaurant in Oakland that's pretty decent. Um, but a lot of Asian food, there used to be a lot more soul food places, but those are becoming less and less, bro. Um, but they're still around, though. You can still get some pretty good soul food if you know where to find it. There's like a place called Everton Jones. Um, that's a barbecue place. I know in Berkeley, there's another barbecue place called KC Barbecue. That's my personal favorite. Um, and um, there's not very many Caribbean restaurants. There is one. There's two Jamaican restaurants in Oakland, but there's not very, that's what you don't really have out here a lot is the Caribbean restaurants. Very few, bro. Just touching base, right? That you're Salvadorian and Mexican, right? Yeah. Have you ever infused a pupusa instead of a taco 
and made a, a pupusa al pastor. Nah, I never did that, bro. That's kind of good. Yo, that's what I wanted to hear. I just yeah, wanted I to... to Colombia. People were like, las arepas, las arepas. I was like, man, these things kind of remind me of pupusas. With the, um, what is it, with the cheese? Yeah, they got cheese in them. And they're hard. Uh, it's a hit and miss, you know what I mean? Sometimes with the arepas. They have different styles, but yeah, they, they were similar. Not saying they were exactly the same, but, you know, I was like, wow, this kind of reminds me of pupusas a little bit. But I'm telling you, now that I brought up that, right, and I threw it in the universe, hopefully somebody watching or somebody listening to us would take a pupusa, right? Make it pretty, not a nice size, right? Just think about a pupusa de chicharrón, de queso, with um, al pastor or birria, bro, because the pupusa would be good with the birria. <laughs> it would be like a, like a gordita almost. <clears throat> um, I think I did try one time a pupusa with jalapenos in it, but I didn't like it. I don't like jalapenos that much, bro. Um, so I didn't, I, I didn't care for it too much. And the other thing, what is it? The reposo, damn. The, um, oh, the yo, that right there, bro. That coleslaw, right? That little cabbage. Just think about that on a taco, bro. I'm actually, you know what? I threw that, you know what I threw curtido in? I threw it inside of an empanada and it said, tastes good, bro. Yeah? Yeah. I was eating, because in El Salvador, they make empanadas too, bro. And I, I one time I was eating some Salvadoran empanadas and I put the curtido on top of it and ate it and it tastes hella good, bro. Just talking about that. Yo, anybody listening, anybody watching yeah. us right now, have somebody... Yeah, now you can, now you got me thinking. I think there's a restaurant out here, right, where I live, in, well, in Bushwick. That's Salvadorian and um, and Mexican. Yeah. I'm, now I'm gonna tell them to make a pupusa <laughs> with, a, with a taco influence. <laughs> with some cilantro and cebolla. <laughs> Yo, think about it, bro. Would you would you be down for that, bro? <laughs> It would be it would be weird, bro, but I, I would try it just to see what it would taste like. But it would be interesting. <laughs> What's your favorite pupusa, bro? Uh personally, I like la revuelta with chicharrón, cheese, and, and, and beans. That's my favorite, personally. And you also have the um, damn, bro. What's that? That caldo, right? Is Which that... one? No, you have another one that's like like a soup. Damn, bro, I'm trying to remember. Chicken? I know y'all can make it with chicken, but y'all also put the um the coleslaw, like the big leaves of coleslaw inside. I think I know what you're talking about. I don't know what it's called, but I think I know what you're talking about. I've tried a mondongo, which is kind of like menudo, kind of. Yeah, but I'm just, like, I'm just thinking about all this right now, bro. It just hit me, bro. Like, I'm thinking about all these dishes. Yuca frita, they got, um, Platanos with, with rice and beans. They got um, they got uh, what else they got? They got bistec salvadoreño, carne de cerrada, um, pollo cebollado. There's a lot of different stuff, bro. But it's the seasoning, bro. It's that seasoning that yeah. changes the whole plate. Even though everybody has their own similar plate, right? But it's just different seasoning that That's makes it. Salvador, the rice is usually white and it has vegetables in it. Have like yes. little vegetables in it, yeah. 
And yeah. beans can vary. They can be red, some not a pinto as much. Usually they're red or they're black, usually. Yeah. You, you have Salvadorian restaurants out there, bro? Yeah, hell yeah. Hell of them. <laughs> Whole bunch of them. So uh, Salvadorian slash Mexican too, or no? Yeah, most of them are slash Mexican. There's only a few that are just straight Salvadorian. I personally like going to those more, the ones that are straight Salvadorian. If I want to get the authentic taste, you know what I mean? But those, those are few in between, bro. They're huge. Most of them are fused. Damn, bro. I'm just, I'm over here just thinking about that whole shit. Now I'm all hungry, bro. Are now I feel. restaurants out there in New York? Huh? Y'all got Salvadorian restaurants in New York? Yeah, Joe. They have one like in the hood hood, bro. That shit is official, bro. I don't know the name of it. I've been going there since I was a kid. And to this day, I don't know what the name is of the restaurant. I just know (laughs) it's in Cypress Hill. Oh, really? (laughs) It's in Cypress Hill, Queens. And to this day, I know it runs under the J line, under the train. And like, but... If you ask me the name, bro, I've been going there for over probably over thirty years, bro. And you ever I tried? Have... A, you ever tried food from other Latin countries like Nicaragua or Honduras or Guatemala? Actually, bro, I I never tried none of those, but I've done the Peruvian. Yeah, I've tried that. Yeah, I've done Colombian. I've done Venezuela. Well, Venezuela and Colombia is kind of similar. Yeah, it's just yeah. a, it's just a season, and then the sauces on is different. But talking about like Guatemala and Honduras now, nah, bro, I always wanted to taste those places like just to see what it is. And then it's a big similar one. Similar to Salvadorian a little bit. I mean, they're a little different, but they're similar too. Yeah. Yeah. Like in, in, like in Honduras, they eat pupusas. They also have their own thing called baleadas. They're kind of like these, kind of like, like a quesadillas kind of. It's funny because in El Salvador, a quesadilla is actually a cheese bread. Really? Yeah. It's como un pan de queso. Hold on. Is it like the one that Colombia makes? That has No, I tried those. You're talking about like the pan de bono, those little round ones? No, bro. It's like a it's like a little it looks like a roll. It looks like uh the pan that they make tortas with. Okay, nah, I never tried that one. But it has yeah, it has like cheese, but I think the cheese is like baked into the bread. There's not oh, like okay. real cheese. It's like baked into the, the bread. Similar for sure. But that shit was official. Like I never had it, bro. I had it like three weeks ago because they have like a little Colombian rest, Colombian bakery. Yeah. By where I do my laundry. And my my cousin's husband was like, "Yo, you gotta go try it, right?" Yeah. Is it like a little hole in the wall, bro? I was like, God, whatever. My hopes for that spot, bro, were like right here like i was like hey whatever let's go bro i don't care coffee was like a like a dollar and shit and the bread was like two dollars i'm like whatever bro i'm like but when i had it the coffee was official was on point the bread official bro i was like god damn yeah the Colombian cheese breads are good when i was in colombia bro i tried like the pan de bono pan de queso pan de yuca that shit was hella good bro Oh, they have these other ones, too, called uh, buñuelos. They're like these little round balls with cheese in them, bro. They're hella good, too. Damn, bro, I'm getting hungry. And them empanadas, too? Out here, we don't have as many Colombian spots. They're, they're starting to open now, now. You're starting to get more and more because there's more Colombians moving to the Bay Area. But, but 
before there weren't very many. I just played a Colombian bakery recently, a grand opening in San Francisco. They opened a Colombian coffee bakery spot. So hopefully it blows up. Nice. So just just now that we're talking about, you know, all this. Playing a Colombian independence party in a city called Martinez. (laughs) Damn. Look at you, Papa. You. We always on the grind, carnal. But um, how have you? I know a lot has changed, bro. A lot has changed because every every hood has been infected by this virus called gentrification. Oh yeah, especially where I'm from, bro. I, I mean the the Bay Area is the epitome of of gentrification, bro. Let's just keep it real. I mean, like cities like San Francisco, bro. The uh, the uh. uh the working class neighborhoods are almost over, bro. There's hardly any left, bro. Oakland, I mean, it's still hood, but even Oakland is being hit hard by gentrification. Like the neighborhood where I'm originally from, bro, it's completely gentrified. I don't even recognize half of it anymore, bro. It's like, it looks like Disneyland now, Dang. you know? Um, you got areas like West Oakland, which used to be predominantly African-American areas. Now you have hella hipsters and yuppies living there. You know, black people are being pushed out. You're starting to see that in the barrios too of Oakland as well. Uh, cities like Berkeley also, bro. Berkeley used to have hoods and barrios back in the days, bro. Like Westside Berkeley was a barrio. South Berkeley was like the hood, bro. And bro, there's hardly any more black terraza left in Berkeley, bro. You know, people are being pushed out of a lot of cities out here, unfortunately, bro, because of the tech, mostly because of the tech industry. Um, and that's been big for the last... I would say 15 years, bro, the, the tech boom like completely destroyed the working class in the Bay Area, bro. And and, and it's, it's it's hard. You know, there's some of us like me that are still hanging in here, bro. But it's hard, bro. A lot of people are moving to the outskirts of the Bay Area. Some, if they don't want to leave the Bay Area completely, they go to like this city called Antioch, Pittsburgh, Fairfield, Vallejo. The ones that live move beyond that move to an area called the Central Valley, which is like Modesto, Stockton. Tracy, Sacramento. So you you get a lot of people that are moving out. I'm sure the same things happen in New York. People are probably moving to New Jersey and to other areas. Yo, it's it's ridiculous, bro. But then with gentrification, right? Yes, it's, it's, it's nice and stuff to a certain point. But with that comes an increase in crime. And we all are experiencing that. And that's a result of gentrification, like it or not. You know what I mean? That's a side effect of it. Oh, yeah, like Oakland. Oakland crime has been horrible the last two years, bro. It's, they just murdered somebody. If you go to my story right now, you'll see a, a story of a of a Uber driver who got shot for no reason, bro. You know, it's, it's it's getting hectic out there, bro. Even out here, right? So they had they were um they were filming Law and Order in Greenpoint. So that's in Brooklyn. That's towards Williamsburg, and the person who was like patrolling, like the cars that are parked, like to tell people to move. He got literally executed inside the car, bro. And that happened yesterday or last night or this morning. Yeah. That's how, that sounds similar to an ex-cop who got killed about, I think last year, he was uh, actually doing security for a camera crew and they came up and tried to rob the camera crew and shot him and killed him. <laughs> so... You know, it's, it's been wild out here, bro. That's one thing about Oakland. The crime 
hasn't changed much over the years, unfortunately. And yeah, it was bad out here. (laughs) No, but it makes it worse. You know what I mean? Because everybody's trying to make a living. Everybody's trying to eat now. And everybody's like, well, everybody's eating over here, but they kicked me out and I'm moving further out. Yeah. So how am I going to supposed to survive? You know what I mean? And I understand. But at the same time, you're still hurting the community. Yeah. When you're robbing and stealing, you're still in the name of progress. But, you know, to me, it's no different than I don't know if you're familiar with in the 1950s, what they used to call urban renewal, where they would go and destroy old neighborhoods full of black and brown people and push the people out to build freeways and to build new city structures and stuff like that. You know, that was big in California. I don't know if they did that in New York. I'm pretty sure they did, bro. And there's certain parts of like East New York, right? That's and a lot of people probably heard of East New York. And if you haven't, it's it's pretty bad. You know what I mean? I've heard of East New York, yeah. So back in the days, like in the 50s, 40s, maybe even 60s, it was pretty much white. Even Bushwick was pretty much white. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then they started moving out and then it became really hood. You know what I mean? That's the same thing with Oakland. I, when I talked to older people from Oakland, they told me back in the 50s and 40s, it was mostly white. A lot of Europeans, like Italians, Portuguese, Germans, Irish. And then they all left, bro. And that's when it became hood. You know, they started leaving in the 50s, in the 60s and 70s, 80s. Even my own mom, she told me when she came to Oakland in the 60s, it was still mostly white. But yeah. it's, it's like, how do you how do you compete or how do you try to change that mindset? You know what I mean? As I get older, I always want to deliver that message to to like the youth. But it's hard, bro. It's hard yeah. to deliver the message to the youth not to be a hothead or not to go down that route because we all we all were young at one point. Yeah, yeah. And we were all at one point. And we were all hotheads and shit. And we didn't give a damn what the older people had to tell us. And the only way we learned is by experience. It's funny because when I hear people now saying, oh, these youngsters are this and that. It wasn't like that in my time. If they're my age, I'm like, bro, you're full of shit. Because when we were their age, the older people were telling us the same thing. You feel me? Like, uh, I'll give you a perfect example. Now I hear the older guys making fun of the young kids because they wear skinny jeans. Like, oh, they're wearing skinny jeans. They look like girls and blah, blah, blah. But when I was young, we were wearing baggy clothes. And the older people would be like, man, why you wear that baggy ass clothes? You look like you're shitting yourself. They used to tell me that, bro. You guys look hella stupid. So it's like every generation is not going to get the young. Every older generation is not going to get the younger generation. We just seem to forget. Maybe because we weren't paying attention what the older people used to say in our time. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But I remember the older people, they used to talk hella shit about my generation. That we were lazy. We didn't want to work. We just want to sell drugs and gangbang. That we wanted the easy way out. That if you guys would have grew up when I was growing up, you guys wouldn't act like that. I heard all, all bro. So when I hear the old the guys that are my age talking shit about the youngsters. I'm like, bro, you sound like the old people that used to talk shit to me when I was young. Yeah. And it's it's just one of those things, but I don't know where can what can we do or what actions can we take just to try to like change that mindset. You know what I mean? 
I try to do when I talk to a youngster, just guide them. Just let them know, look, bro, this is what happened when I was young. If you don't want to repeat the same mistakes, bro, just don't try not to get into that into that mindset or that lifestyle. Try to do as best you could, as best you can, especially now that you have a lot more opportunities than we did. You know, now you have the internet you can make a living off of. Now you have, you know, a lot of things you could you could make a living off of. There's, you know, a lot more work out there, a lot more programs now that maybe didn't exist in my time, you know? You can take advantage of so many programs. You can yeah, go to school exactly. for free. You just got to look for it. That's what you got to do. You got to you gotta be hungry and shit. There's a lot of money out there. There's yeah. a lot of money out there. The U.S. spends a lot of money on other countries giving them aid. But they also have a lot of money going within the country. We just have to go and look for it. Yeah. It's not easy, though. I'm not going to say it's easy. You're going to go. Not, and, not just guys. easy in this world, bro. Even like me doing music, bro, it's been a long, hard struggle, but I keep doing it because I like doing it. It's you like we all got to find. Yeah. But it didn't happen overnight. You know, it took years of practice. and <laughs> You know what I mean? Trial and error. And yeah, that's basically what it was. But it's like, once you find that thing, bro, that makes you happy, bro, usually that's what changes your life, bro. For me, it was like, I just, the reason I changed my life around is I just got tired of seeing like the homies with the hood mentality, bro. They wouldn't go nowhere, bro. They were either dying or going to jail or ending up dope fiends on the streets or dying from drugs. And uh, I just didn't want to go down that route, bro. I said, nah, this, this ain't normal, bro. You know, I said, Rasa, we could do better than that, bro. And that's where I changed my mentality and, and changed my lifestyle around. Because I, I started going to jail and getting caught up, bro. And I, I, I had to check myself at that point. I said, bro, you've already been to jail three times, bro. The fourth time, they're just going to keep you. I said, so it's probably best to steer away from problems. And I did. I said, you know what? This ain't for me. And I started going through new avenues and then and, and started Oakland, like, you know, United. Oh, yeah. Also, for a while, I was doing community organizing, too. I didn't talk about that. I was working with some political organizations, doing some community organizing, too, in the hoods, bro. So I did a little bit of that as well. So I have that in my background, too. How was that? It was cool. That was that was good and bad to it. It was cool to learn about the political structure and about the community and the things that go on. It was good to learn how local politics are, are very important, more, more important than even federal politics, um, because local politics is what controls what's around you. And uh, definitely, it's always good to see more Rasa get into local politics, which is something that's lacking, especially here in the Bay Area. Um, but there was also the bad side. People, when they get too political, they get too dogmatic, they get too caught up in their and their political beliefs, and it creates rifts and 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 divisions as well. So there's good and bad to it, bro. It's a thankless job, bro, for sure. It's a thankless job, I have to say, bro. You 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 know, you could be the best dude in the world doing the best thing in the hood, and there's always gonna be people hating on you, bro. No matter You're not how hard. You don't believe in what I believe in, so fuck you. You don't. You know what I mean? Stuff like that, and it's like. I've seen all that, bro. So there's good and bad to it, I would say. But I, I guess you could say that about anything, really. <laughs> sure can.
You sure can't say that about anything nowadays, bro. It don't matter what you do or how you do it. Somebody's not going to like it. You know what I mean? But you just... A, you could save a bunch of kids from a burning building and there's going to be one hater out there. Yep. No, you didn't do it this... You didn't You didn't step with your right foot instead of the left foot first. Yeah, something. Like, bro, it's like, I saved the kids. Don't worry about it. No, no, you didn't do it right. I'm like, all right, whatever. Oh, you, you, you took my girlfriend away back in the days. <laughs> yo but um before that right before we lock it up i just want to know i wanted to tell you one thing before i leave it off one thing i noticed with me at least yeah like look at me bro i'm a heavy set kind of funny looking mexican dude you know what i mean i'm probably not the person that most people think is a go-getter or someone who's gonna do who just pushes to to scribe every day probably people think i'm probably some fat lazy slob bro but I'm not. I'm actually always busy doing something to improve my life and improve my craft. And I notice there's a lot of people out there that look at my physical or what was the word I want to use? They look at the um, uh, what's the word uh, when you look at someone's appearance? Um, the cover, the cover, I would say the cover. No, the uh, kind of like a word like insecurity, like um. How can I say? Anyway, they, they look at me and they look at me pushing, doing Oakland Latinos United, doing music, doing YouTube, taking pictures with fine ass honeys, you know, talking to people in the community, having a groupies, having a whole community behind me. And they fucking hate it, bro. Because they're like, how can that badass be doing that? And I'm not doing shit. And yeah. I, 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 I picked up that hate from people, bro. You know what oh, it they is? Look at the superficial. There you go. They look at the superficial aspects of me. Do you know Instead what you got? Instead of looking at who I am deep down as a man. But you know what you got that they don't have, right? That confidence? Nah, bro. It's, it's something that most people would lack is ambition. Yeah. And confidence. <laughs> Well, that too, but you, you, with the ambition comes with the confidence. You get me? Yeah, yeah, I feel you. So something has to trigger that to get the, once you have the ambition, the confidence is just naturally going to come in, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So you know what I mean? A lot of people lack, lack it, you know what I mean? And yeah. also another thing, right? So I just started going back to reading books and listening to books, right? And yeah. the last book I'm currently on right now, right? is breaking the habit of being yourself that's the mm. last i used that's... to read books like that before bro and then uh, yeah so this book is more about the laws of quantum physics and the laws of attraction yeah 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 so it's kind of it, it brings me back to like the whole secret shit but at the same time it also breaks on through to another to another side right where people who go on trips and whatever of that source you know what i mean and it opens this pathway into your mind so sometimes you don't really need to go on those trips because you can actually do it yourself by meditating but just throwing it out there like you want to achieve a goal just throw it out there because every, every let's say you want to example you want to lose weight right yeah just wake up every morning and you're gonna be like all right i'm gonna lose weight i'm gonna lose weight right but eventually, one day, you're going to say, I'm going to lose weight, and you're going to start working out. Or you're going to yeah. start eating better. Or you're going to start taking action to, you know, to get to your goal. 
but it's like technically your your um with me it sucks because i lose weight and gain it right back (laughs) i it's like me right i work out about six times a week six times a week but i eat regular right yeah so i stay at my regular shape but i know if i didn't eat i'll be 300 pounds like i know i'll be 300 pounds like right now i'm 240 bro yeah, I'm 250, so we're about the same. You're right there, bro. You're right there. One thing that makes me a little, evens me out a little bit, is that I'm tall. I'm 5'11". I'm almost six foot. Yo, bro, I'm 5'11 and three-fourths. Okay, so we're the same. Damn, they're the same height. <laughs> so we right there. Yeah. And another well, book, right? Bro, if my legs and arms aren't really fat bro my face and my belly are the only thing that's really fat that's what i'm trying to lose i lost it before bro i'm trying to lose it again <laughs> you could do it you could do it trust me bro um i, I do work out, though. i do work out at least three times a week you know what's good kettlebells okay i i, I do a lot of kettle and jump rope i, I okay. started, I, started I, do cardio, the jump. I do a lot of like crunches and like ab exercises so you see, you're in the right path right there. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you maintain it. You know what I mean? I'm pretty sure if you didn't work out, you probably would be oh, yeah. bigger. You know what I mean? Like, you'd be bigger. But you just maintain it. But you're still enjoying what you eat, right? you enjoying everything you want to eat, correct? Yeah. For the most part, I'm not eating trashy food as I used to, bro. I'm I'm, I'm trying to, like, once in, like, I, I treat myself off to some fast food once in a while. But I try to keep it, you know, pretty, try to eat pretty healthy, but as long as you work out, you yeah. good. You can maintain that weight. You know what I mean? I'm doing DoorDash, so I'm I'm always walking back and forth, <laughs> back and forth, back and forth. That's a workout in itself. <laughs> and all right, so another book I read, right? It's called Tribe. And that tribe? one, Tribe. I never read that one. I read, you know, the one I read was... Uh, Last book I read like that of that style was called um, No More Mr. Nice Guy. Have you ever read that one? Nah. And I read The Subtle, the subtle Art of Not Giving an F. Oh, I, I read, read that, that shit. That, that shit was good. Yeah, they were both kind of on a similar path. And then a lot of parenting I've books. Always, I've always read books about bringing, boosting your confidence and boosting your like you said, your um, what's the word you used earlier? Your um, ambition. Ambition, yeah. But look, look at the outcome, bro. Yeah, I've always been like, and, and people laugh at me for a lot of years. I also even read books about seduction to Yo. understand the, what how seduction works. Bro, we right here, bro. It, it's like we're the same person <laughs> in the, <laughs> in the metaverse, bro. I used to read um. Ah oh, man, what is it called? You ever read Mystery Method? Huh? Mystery Method? No, but I read Mind Mind Control, but everybody makes fun of it because everybody's like that was a joke author. Um, haha, long. I think I heard of it. I read a book about NLP a long time ago, neuro linguistic programming. How to use trigger words? How to how to get into people's heads? How to captivate people with 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 your actions? It's kind of like almost like hypnotic, almost, bro. Like Yo. hypnosis. Yeah. yeah, that one. And then also, what is it? That's what oh, government, like, the police, and 
the FBI and a lot of groups use NLP, bro. Yo, Flo said Jose versus King Mexico weight loss challenge. Place your back. <laughs> <laughs> it could happen. It could happen, right, bro? We could make it happen. I have no problem eating healthy, bro. Just sometimes it's hard to find healthy food sometimes. Mm -hmm. Yo, bro. Or I get lazy. I'm all, I'm never at home, bro. So sometimes I gotta eat out because I'm not at home sometimes. All and right, I, right. you know, I try to find even if I have to go to a fast food place, I'll try to find whatever has the least calories at the fast food place. You know what I mean? I'm gonna tell you this, bro. I I do cheat because I I do take um I do take pills and stuff. So I do take like testosterone and I take like HGH just to help me. <laughs> maintain I my muscles to, uh, zinc a lot before to help me huh i used to take zinc a lot to help me oh zinc zinc you and can... a few others i can't remember the other ones yes yeah, so i just in case anybody wants to know so my my vitamins is a choice right is animal yeah. pack which is a multivitamin pack and there's 11 pills i take it every other day or three times a week because there's so much in those in those 11 pills I am not going to do 11 pills for seven days. And then the second one is animal immune system, which is, you know, is in the name. It helps yeah. boost your immune system. So that one I take about twice a week and stuff. And that's yeah, I take, six I take pills. Immune, I take immune system boosters. Not all the time, but I do take them. And on top of that, I also take um, creatine. Okay. I've heard of that. My man really wants us to go on a challenge, bro. <laughs> My man, we'll see. we'll see, we'll see, we'll see. If yeah, we'll we'll make a post on the storyline. Yeah, see the comments. I'm probably assuming there's a lot of comments on there, huh? Yeah. <laughs> How many people are watching this? Five, bro. But it's been on and off, bro. It's been a lot of okay. people tuning in. Yeah, yeah. I I can't see the comments where I'm at. And. But yo, thank you, bro. For oh, before before we let go, right? I just want to know. I always ask everybody this. I want to know three questions, right? Mm -hmm. What's your favorite song? What's your favorite movie? And what's your favorite dish? Damn song, so many. <laughs> uh, but if you had to pick these three items, right? Ghetto by Too Short. All right. That's one. You said movie, right? Yeah. This is going to sound cheesy, but Ghostbusters, the 1984 one. Classic. Uh, favorite dish? Enchiladas, bro. I heard, I heard something in my head, bro. I heard pupusas enchiladas. Yeah, enchiladas, yeah. The pupusas? I like pupusas, but I will say enchiladas kind of wins over the pupusas, unfortunately. <laughs> I'm still messing with you, bro. I'm still I'm still trying to get this this pupusa infused taco happening, bro. <laughs> It'll happen one day. I'm surprised it hasn't happened in New York or out here in the Bay. I'm surprised those were, too. Those would seem the more likely places it would happen. Yeah, like these two states should have. I'm I'm pretty sure if we look California. People like me are very common, bro. People that are half Salvadorian and Mexican or half Salvadorian and something else. So, yeah, man, I just really want to know what's up with that, bro. 
But yeah, damn, though that that's pretty dope. Ghostbusters is dope. I'm sorry, bro. I really don't know much about Too Short. I know of Too Short. But. I would say the ghetto because that song really personified what was it like being in Oakland at that era, bro. Yeah, I would. That's why I said that song. I picked it out of all of the songs I could think of. Ghostbusters, because this just was my favorite movie when I was a little kid. What was your favorite part? Ah, so many, bro. Like the end with the Marshmallow Man, uh, when they were trying to catch Slimer and all that stuff, bro. It's just a dope movie, bro. Nah, it is all all around. That was that was just classic. Like the New York in the backdrop would always nice to me. It always seemed dope, kind of like like wow, that seems like a dope city. I have to go there one day. Yeah, you have to come out here, bro. Trust oh, me. That's my itinerary. I'm going to Columbia next, but after Columbia, I'm going to try to go to New York and Chicago. I want to go to both of those places. Yo, trust me, bro. You come out here, you're going to have a lot of fun, bro. Yeah, if I go out there, we got to hook up, bro. We, we will hook up, bro, and I'm pretty sure we're going to end up at, at a restaurant. Oakland, bro. You got to call me, bro. Huh? If you come to Oakland, you got to call me, bro. I'll show you around the town. I'm with it, bro. I'm with that. But you come out here, bro. We're gonna we're gonna go visit that right there. That's the Brooklyn Bridge. Oh hell yeah, hell yeah! I've seen that in so many pictures, bro. I gotta see it, and I'll take you to see the Golden Gate Bridge, bro. <laughs> but yeah. this time without the SWAT team, right? Uh, yeah, no, but the Golden Gate is the other one. If you were going to Oakland, you were probably crossing the Bay Bridge. Oh, that's the one. <laughs> we got hella bridges out here, bro. We got like ten bridges out here. Damn. Yeah, we got the Bay Bridge, the Golden Gate, the San Mateo, the Dumbarton, Carquinez, the Bonicia, the Richmond Bridge, the Antioch Bridge. There's a whole bunch of them, bro. Damn. Yeah. Yeah, we got um, a lot of them here. So with that said, bro, let everybody know where they can catch you, any coming events you got, and any words of advice. So basically, if you want to catch me, I'm on either YouTube or IG or Facebook, Oakland Latinos Unidos or Oakland Latinos United. Just type that in and you'll find me. If you want to hear my music, look up Los Guayanatos. That's Los B-A-H-I-A-N-A-T-O-S on IG or, or on YouTube. Or you can look up my old band, Calafia Armada, and you can find my music on there too. So there's, there's, there's info out there. Uh, tomorrow I got a a, a, a Colombian independence event uh, at, in Martinez on a, on a, at a brewery called El Cielo Brewery on Escobar Street, Martinez, California. We're playing with Los Alegres Callejeros, Colombian independence. August, I think, damn, I can't remember the date. August something. Hold on, I'll tell you right now. August, give me a quick second. August 7th, we're going to have the Pupusa Festival at the Petaluma Fairgrounds. We're going to be playing with Oro Solido, La Sonora Namita, Ito Miro y Chanchona. So there's going to be Salvadorian folkloric groups and my group, Los Guayanatos. So for sure, come check that out. We're going to be playing with a group from the DR, Oro Solido. I don't know if you ever heard of them. And uh, that's coming up too. So yeah, and if you go Guayanatos in Facebook or IG, you can find where we're going to be playing. All right. So thank you, bro, for coming on. Huh? Gracias for having me.
Nah, you're welcome, bro. Thank you for coming on, bro. It was a blast. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Always. All right, brother. And to the next one. So we forgot to say the inspiring words. Leave some inspiring words. All I can tell you, man, is don't wait to do something. Get on your purpose and do it now. Work hard on it. Work hard on your craft. Build up your enthusiasm and your confidence. And don't let the haters get you down. Just keep doing what you got to do, regardless of what people say. And that's all I really got to say. And stay out of trouble, man. <laughs> that's it, like White Clef, John? That's it. Oh, no, not now. Is it White Clef? No, no, I think it was, um. damn, I forgot his name. I just messed that part up. <laughs> all right, brother. All right, guys, thank you for listening to the next one.